Welcome to season two of The Influencers. We've expanded our scope to bring you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices from the digitally driven seismic transformation happening at the intersection of law, business and technology. We'll be sharing with you the rapidly evolving information that you need to know. Welcome everybody to another edition of The Influencers on digital transformation and law. I'm Leo von Gerlach and with me today is Knut Mager. Knut has a long and broad experience in different roles in the pharmaceutical industry. Currently, he is the general counsel for data products of Viva Systems. Knut, welcome. Hi, Leo. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. May I ask you just Tell me, after three decades in the pharmaceutical industry, you now moved into the realm of software and data industry. What's the story? Oh, that's quite simple. Um, I believe we all experience how technology is shaping our daily life. So it's really changed a lot. And it's also shaping business models. Uh, so at the same time, the value proposition of data changed with it. So I, I don't think there are many places that would be as exciting as Viva at the moment. And I'm happy to be part of it. Tell us a bit more about Viva. So Viva was founded 16 years ago uh, in California. It has grown into a multi-billion company with uh, now 7,000 employees. So it's really hyper growth. And our vision is to build the cloud for life sciences. And through this focus on life sciences, I feel that I can still contribute to the purpose of pharma, that which I loved so much. So the purpose of pharma is to improve and extend people's lives, always made me proud. Now at Viva, we still continue to this purpose, but we do it in a different way. We do it through software and software that's two products, our commercial cloud, where we are market leading and our development cloud. And then in addition to software, we offer services and consulting and we are providing data products. And it's the data products that you are responsible for, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit more about this specific aspect of your business? Uh, sure. Um, it's basically two lines of products. They're called Open Data and Link. Open Data is a reference data product for the life science industries. Now, reference data is just like a um, gigantic phone book of all times. So it relates to professional data about healthcare professionals and decision makers in healthcare. So healthcare professionals, who we also call, call HCPs, are physicians, nurses, pharmacists. So the database contains contact data and also some other attributes like affiliations um, with healthcare institutions, for instance, a hospital. And this is all publicly available data and it all relates to the professional context of the healthcare professionals, so not to their personal lives. And why is this data important? It's important for the pharmaceutical life science companies to structure and to manage their interactions, so their medical and promotional activities. They really need to know to whom to provide medical and scientific information, promotional content. And then the other product family that we call Link, and those are more deeply curated data products. For example, one product in the Link family is called Key People. And as the name suggests, it's about key people. So it contains more information about a subset of healthcare professionals 
And uh, those are physicians that are key opinion leaders. We call them KOLs. Now, also, this product is based on publicly available data. It's also strictly on professional data, but it includes richer data sets. So it, it contains the publications of a KOL, their tweets, Congress contributions, clinical trials that they participated in, their focus of research, other KOLs that they collaborated with. And so it helps the industry to find those KOLs that they can engage with when they want to foster their research and development or when they want to create scientific content. So from all you say, it's it's clear and easy to understand why data is that relevant from the business perspective. But now from the legal perspective, so what's in there for a lawyer? What makes this juicy and interesting? Ah, but it's, it's very interesting, actually. So for one, there is interesting commercial legal content. So think about providing the data. Data licenses are not trivial. They are really complex contracts and they require very, very thoughtful drafting. And they also require the knowledge of a variety of legal, um, legal areas and specialities, including IP. But I would say the most interesting, or, and I, I could really say exciting, is the legal complexity of the data regulations. So that's, those are questions like, what type of data can I use? If I find data on the internet, it's publicly available, but can, does it mean that I really can use it? What about copyrights? What about other protections? What about limitations uh, through terms and conditions? And um, also on top of mind, of course, it's always um, what about protection of personal data? But then there's also the other side. Uh, what's the, the impact and opportunity of freedom of information regulation? What about regulation that uh, mean to ensure the access of patients to care and so on and so forth? So um, it's really a lot and it's an area where as a lawyer, I feel that I'm not merely providing a service. So I'm a business partner, of course, yeah, who helps to close deals and protect the business interests. Um, but that's not all. I really need to be part of the product team. So, so I see myself more like um, as helping a design solution as a, as a lawyer who's also a designer of a product. So, so I'm a producing function and I'm part of the product team. Can you... Um, make this a little bit more concrete. So can we drill down on that aspect even further? Um, yeah, I, let, let me try. So take open data, for example. So I explained it's basically a phone book, right? An enriched address list. So that sounds like a very, very simple product. Um, however, um, just imagine it contains 10 million today, 10 million data sets. So that's reference data professional contact data, affiliations of 10 million healthcare professionals. So I think this then sounds already a, a bit more complex. And now some of those healthcare professionals, of course, they change roles. They move to different workplaces or different hospitals. Some of them retire, some change their names, some may just enter the profession as physicians. So it's a phone book, but it's a very, very large one. It's dynamic and it needs to be maintained and curated constantly. And that's because data quality is extremely important. Wrong contact information can create huge, huge inefficiencies and can cost our customers a lot of money. 
Let me phrase it the other way around. It's data quality that's important because then resources of our customers are not being wasted. So provenance of the data, so where does the data originate from? What's the lawful source is important, but also maintaining the quality through constant curation. And we do that. So receiving the data or finding the data in the first place and keeping it at high quality um, through a combination of technology and a lot, a lot of manual work. And the manual work includes independent verification, direct verification of the data sets. And to do that, we employ several hundreds of data curators. So it's a lot of technology, but also a lot of manual work. Now the manual work, so all this activity needs to be based on generalized legal guidance, right? You need to write the SOPs for all these urban curators. And to add to that complexity, open data is not just a one country, one jurisdiction product. It's our ambition to um, build a truly, truly global product. So the curation process needs to be guided currently across several dozens of countries with different languages. You have different naming conventions. You have slightly different health systems with different medical specialities. And then, of course, you have different legal systems. You have different legal traditions, and those translate into very different practical um, rules and laws that needs to be uh, followed. Just to take one example, which um, I think is always on top of mind when you deal with data, which is data protection. So data protection regimes and the, the legal basis on which you can process personal information, uh, they vary. In the GDPR region, for instance, or in Europe, we base our processing on legitimate interest. And that's our legitimate interest to run the type of business that we are running to facilitate interaction in the health system and the legitimate interest of our customers to reach and to reach healthcare professionals and to interact with them. So as a result of that, we need to notify the HCPs in a very specific form to be transparent. But then, however, in other countries, we may need to collect consent because legitimate interest may not be available as a legal basis. And now the requirements for valid consent, they vary in the countries. So this is a lot, a lot to do um, and to consider for a lawyer. Wow. I mean, with, with all that complexity, how do, do you keep track of the differences, the synergies, the intersections of these various aspects of fast-moving business and technology? Well, the honest answer is, as an individual, I cannot keep track. At a general level, of course, I may be able to keep track, but not at the detailed level. And I would even say it would be almost foolish to have the ambition to be in every detail in every country. But of course, as an organization, we need to have exactly this ambition, right? We need to to understand the details and we we need to, to keep track in order to be compliant. And that's one of our key values is to do the right thing. So it's all about honesty and integrity. So we need to and we can develop a good understanding of specific local requirements, uh, but we really need to do this with outside counsel. We can't do this in-house. And uh, just to share, I mean, that's an approach I really, really had to get comfortable with because I used to work in companies with very large local footprints with plenty of um, strong in-house lawyers. 
And um, in fact, I have been responsible for several years of my career to develop um, such country uh, legal teams. Now, Viva has also strong in-house lawyers, but it's a hyper-growth company, right? So um, legal team is constantly um, constantly stretched. It tends to be clustered more in a few jurisdictions, doesn't have the same footprints. And as a consequence, we simply cannot do in-depth legal analysis um, in-house across many jurisdictions. So, so therefore, we need to work with outside counsel. And what I discovered is that the art, and it's really an art, is to find a firm that has a good footprint, um, either through own offices or a good strong network um, of local best friends firms. And then the firm that you work with or we work with needs to take accountability for consistent quality, needs to be very practical, has to understand the business models, needs to limit itself to providing answers to just limited questions, so not boiling the ocean, and do not provide answers that lead to more questions, so really need to, to help in understanding the details. And then it must be commercially feasible for us to work with them, and I understand that it still needs to return a profit to the firm, so, so it's really an art. And there are not too many firms uh, who can do this type of work. So in particular in data and technology, you, for instance, Leo, you're part of a firm that is able to do that. But again, there are not so many who can do that with the depth, the scale, the understanding of business objectives, the understanding of technology, understanding of data, digital regulation, health systems regulation, and then across many countries. And then maybe I should add, I don't want to create the impression that I would outsource fundamental legal judgment. So these judgment calls are always in-house. So while outside counsel can provide the analysis, the translation then into product developments, what, what does it mean for product development and operations, that always needs to be the accountability of the in-house team. And it's my account accountability, actually. So organizing the, to receive the answers in a cost-effective way, necessary externally, um, translated into internal guidance. So back to your question, how to keep the, uh, track of the differences or to sum it up. So with um, the existing laws that affect our products in the various countries uh, and or where, where we want to expand the business, we can manage that with the outside counsel. So that's on the existing laws, but that's not really not my biggest concern. First, to put a marker down, this is very, very helpful guidance and, and advice for everybody just working in law. So thank you for that, Knut. But if that is not your biggest concern, what is actually your biggest concern? Well, it's maybe not one biggest concern. It, I, I would say it's probably, I don't know, it's probably three. And, um, and they have similar weight. So I would put first the, the inconsistency and interpretation and um, the application of the law. Then second, I would say it's the overregulation, in particular in data and digital. And then the third one is what I would call a widening capabilities gap. Wow, that's quite a lot. Can, can you unpack that a bit for us? I, I will try. So the first one, inconsistency, that's pretty simple. And, and here I can just stick with GDPR that we used as an example before. So GDPR is a regulation in the EU. So the objective is it's one consistent standard in the EU, right? One law. But what we see in practice is that the law is really inconsistently applied um, by the regulators in the member states. And the alignment and consistency um, mechanisms 
that are built into the law or into the practice, they are not as efficient and effective as I believe the lawmakers have hoped for. And um, so what happens is, for all practical purposes, the alignment happens through the Court of Justice of the European Union, not at regulator level. And that takes time. And in the meantime, until you have a court decision, everyone has to operate in a space of uncertainty. And now, of course, you may say, well, that's always the case. You have a new law. It's never always black and white and clear. And then it's the court uh, that has to provide clarity. And of course, I agree with that. But what we observe in the case of GDPR, and maybe because the law is overly complex, maybe because it's unnecessarily ambiguous, and therefore we have more uncertainty. And I believe the regulators, maybe they do not cooperate at the, at the best level. And then, by the way, I would lump into this also the concern over diverging systems, not only in the EU, but also if looking at what's happening inside the US and then that what happens um, between the US and Asia and Europe. So does that kind of mean that um, overregulation is a very significant concern for you? Yeah, I, I think so. So I mentioned this as, as the second one. And, and maybe the divergence of legal systems is less about uncertainty and is more about overregulation. I think you're right, in particular when you take a global perspective. And when I was referring to overregulation earlier, I was um, thinking more about all the data and digital regulation approaches that you see, for instance, in the EU alone. The Data Act, the Data Governance Act, the AI Act, the Digital Markets Act, the Digital Service Act, European Health Data Space, e-privacy regulation, and so on and so forth. And I must say, I find it really hard to put all, and I think it's hard for everyone, to put all these initiatives into perspective and understand how they will, in practice, impact each other as regulations and and how they will impact technology and business and society and individuals, I should add. And we see similar approaches outside of the EU as well. Let me go back to a point you made earlier about the capability gap that you mentioned. Can you explore that for our benefit a little bit further? Yeah, that's the third concern I raised. And it's an observation that I've been making now for a few years Technology moves fast. We all experience that. Business models are changing with technology also as a, as a fast space. And then business models and technology are often built on collaborations and innovations of many, many different players. It's usually not one company. And law and regulation does not keep track with the speed of change. And a law probably will always lag. It's also, it, it lags because the discourse in society and in the parliaments that lead to new law, they take time. But I think we'll be aware of the fact that um, it will be increasingly challenging for any individual lawmakers so people who participate in the discourse or for regulators, and these are all people, <laughs> or for government advisors as individuals to understand the impact of the new de developments and have meaningful conversations. And sometimes I believe that what we see in terms of frantic regulation in the EU that I've described, this plethora of new laws, that this is a reflex of 
sort of the system to try to get control of something that is very ill understood and that will continue to be ill understood in terms of its potential and risks. And that's just inherent in the speed of the development. That brings us almost into the philosophical realm, Knut. So perhaps let's try to translate that, what that would mean for the legislator and perhaps also for a practitioner in the business of law. Yeah, I think I would argue that it's probably time to rethink, and I don't know whether a practitioner can do this alone or a regulator can do this alone, to rethink the regulatory approach and to work more towards um, what in the policy discussions is referred to as constructive engagement. So these are different forms of interaction. So like, for instance, regulatory sandboxes, where regulators and companies work together to understand uh, the impact and the risk of a new approach before it's broadly rolled out. And that can be impact and risk of a technology or of a business model. And in the sandbox, they explore together the impact on the individual, on the society, on economy. And all of this is done with a learning mindset. So and it's based on the understanding that no one, not the regulator, not the innovators, have perfect knowledge or insight. So therefore, learning is required and learning then requires to be open. Um, so that would be the innovator to explain what they want to achieve. And on the regulator side, to be open to listen to the explanation and then for both to be open to have an interaction and to, to understand um, each other perspectives. I had the chance to experience this approach in a sandbox, which was run by the Information Commissioner's Office um, in the UK. And I found it very enlightening and fruitful. And, and I read that there are also good experiences and with this approach now in Singapore. Um, so, so I believe that this um, form of constructive engagement that can lead to real-time regulation sort of of key risk, that this will take ground maybe. And I think it would be much, much more practical. It would be more current. It would be less complex. And it would build on different perspectives and competencies um, as opposed to the current approach. I love all those concepts you just mentioned. Open interaction, learning mindset, construction, constructive engagement. I mean, wonderful concepts. A little bit into on the utopian side at the moment, but clearly we try to work towards them. And I think that's a very positive note to end our conversation. So, Knud, thank you so much for your wonderful contribution. That was terrific. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Oh, most welcome. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in again and join us for the next edition of The Influencers on Digital Transformation and Law. It will be come up soon. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. Visit our digital assets and blockchain hub at engagepremium.hoganlovels.com for more podcasts and other resources. Or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.